God bless you. Please be seated. Uh, our children are going to be dismiss, dismissed now to children's worship. God bless you as you go. How wonderful. Let me invite your attention to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12. I uh, looked this week about um, a number of things, and this morning I want to preach on the subject special sauce. Special sauce. It comes from a jingle in 1974 that McDonald's put forward. Two all beef patties, special sauce, cheese, pickles, lettuce, onions on a sesame seed bun. Listen, if you were born in this century, you have missed out on the greatest jingles in history. My soul. That's what they did. Well, everyone was curious about what was in McDonald's special sauce. It was actually, the recipe was actually in a 1969 uh, manager's handbook, and they had it in there so they could make it up real quick at the, at the, uh, in the kitchen in case they ran out. But it became so popular, they ripped it out of the manager's handbook and just make sure uh, that the uh, McDonald's restaurants had enough. And you, you might be kind of surprised about what's in it. Uh, there really aren't very many unusual ingredients, but the two that caught my attention were Miracle Whip, or something like Miracle Whip, and French dressing. That's what they put in that, special sauce. You know, different restaurants and different entities have got something that makes them unique. For uh, McDonald's, it's their special sauce. For Olive Garden, it's their salad dressing. For uh, Red Lobster, it happens to be their cheddar biscuits and all. There's some places that have got special smells. Anywhere you go, at least anywhere I've been, anytime you walk into an Ace Hardware, it will smell the same as you walk in. Somehow they reproduce that smell. You go to Disneyland, you step in, or Disney World, you step in and you'll smell pastries. There is one church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that puts into it its duct system throughout its building and property the smell of Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission Facilities Committee needs to find a way to pipe that smell throughout the entire property. Wouldn't you agree? My goodness, that'd make a lot of happy people, wouldn't it? And uh, Krispy Kreme should give us a uh, check every month for doing so. Beach Haven through the years has had some special sauce. I don't mean to brag, don't mean to boast or anything like that. But God has been very, very good to our church in so many ways. In fact, the construction of this worship center uh, involves some special sauce. Dr. Jim Griffith was pastor here from 1966 until about 1980 when he went to be the executive director of the Georgia Baptist Convention. But he arrived in 1966 to a church that was only seven years old. It was essentially a new church plant. And uh, they really didn't have any senior adults or many senior adults. They were all young families and young couples uh, when he came. There may have been a few, but they all started very, very young. In fact, when they dedicated this worship center, August 15, 1969, Carol Mosby was 50 years old. 50 years old. And she and Buzz were about the oldest members in the church at the time. There may have been a few more, but there really wasn't a very strong, large senior adult base like we've got today. And so we've got some neat advantages over what they had then. But when Dr. Griffith arrived in 1966, he writes and says in our church history that Beach Haven was $285,000 in debt. Now that's a chunk of change today, but back then that was a whole lot more. In today's money, that's more than $2 million in debt. You see, they built this building that uh, in the very back, uh, the buildings behind us, Building C, and the worship center, and they were still in debt over it. Not only that, but they were behind on paying some bills 
They were struggling financially. But they had faith, they trusted God, they unified together, they moved forward, and whereas Dr. Griffith arrived in 1966, in two years and three months, they broke ground on this facility. It's what they did. And here's what he says. He said, The church faced many challenges when I arrived, but I've always felt and had the feeling that ministers and laypersons grow more from challenges and hard tasks than from taking the easy route in life to achievement. And that's true. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll go grow through hard times more than we will any easy time. And oh, how many illustrations there are of that. But he goes on to write, he said, When God is followed and trusted, the seemingly impossible becomes possible. Even though everything was against us, in a little more than two years and three months from the time I arrived, we broke ground for the new sanctuary, <coughs> worship center. That's what they did. What a marvelous thing, unifying together, trusting God, moving forward together, and here we are sitting in this worship center. Our Great Commission Facilities Committee has done a great job and a great work. You're going to see some of the, um, some of the fruit of that work uh, today, but uh, they're very cognizant of the fact that God is worthy and deserves our very best in this task. And Nehemiah chapter 12 is going to help us. Ladies and gentlemen, those who built this worship center had some special sauce. We need special sauce today amongst us. And Nehemiah 12 is going to help us with that. Nehemiah 12, here's what we've got. The first ingredient of the special sauce is total participation. Now I want you to look with me real quickly at chapter 12. And I want you to glance over the chapter itself from verse 1 to verse 26. Read real quickly and, and look at the different items that are found here in the text. Real quickly, look, look through there. It really begins in verse 1, and there's something in common in all the verses all the way down to verse 26. Have you scanned it? Okay, well turn back to chapter 11 and do the same thing. Chapter 11. Just keep scanning down and go all the way through to the end of the chapter. Do you see something in common between chapter 12 and chapter 11? We'll look at chapter 10. Verses 1 through 27. Do you see something in common there, verses 1 to 27, as you find in chapter 11 and chapter 12? Now look at chapter number 7. You'll pick up with this in about verse number 6 and look down to the end of the chapter. Do you see something in common there from chapter 12 and 11 and 10? And then chapter number 3, beginning in verse 1, all the way to the end of the chapter. What you find are a large number of names of people who left Babylon to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls to rebuild the homes, to rebuild the city, and to occupy and cause the temple to function as it was designed to function. Everybody's on board. Total participation. Everyone has got a job. Everyone's got a task. And they fill it in this text. Total participation. God does His greatest work when people find their place in His work and they pursue it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remarkable. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 gives you some good news. You may be wondering, well, what's my place? What does God have for me to do? And we're going to help you with that a little bit today. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 has an implicit promise. In verse number 10, it says here in this text, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each one. You may, be, you may have been excluded from a team. You may have been excluded from a fraternity or sorority. You may have been excluded for something that you cherished and wished on your heart. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you, each one who knows Jesus Christ has got a gift from God to use in His work. Each one has received a special gift. I, I, I will just tell you, it surprised me what my gift happened to be. Because when I was in the seventh grade, I developed a terrible fear of public speaking. I am still frightened by public speaking. I can't do it. What I'm doing now is not public speaking, by the way. It's teaching. It's preaching. That's entirely different from public speaking because of the content and the purpose of what I'm doing. I've tried to speak publicly when I was in college. My minor was English. I had to give English reports in class, and I could not do it. It was very difficult. I couldn't organize my thoughts. I couldn't think through it. I'd studied the material. I was ready. I could not deliver it. The only time I'm able to ever communicate anything in a group like this is when I open the Bible and communicate the biblical text. I am not a public speaker. I'm awful at it. And it's Miss Mahoney's fault, my 7th and 8th grade language arts teacher. And a vicious group of 8th grade kids. But that's what uh, I experienced then, and there's a long story behind that. But I'm not a public speaker. I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, and the only way I can ever communicate is with the gift that God has given me. It's not natural ability. I have absolutely no right to be proud of it or to boast in it. It's a gift. It's not for me. I can't do it on my own. And what I want to say to you is God's got something like that for you as well. Each one has received a gift to minister the various manifestations of the grace of God. In other words, God can use you to introduce other people to His grace. There's something that God has given you, if you know Christ, where you can introduce others to His grace. In other words, the vast majority of you who know Christ are about a quarter inch, an eighth of an inch away from being effectively used by God. Total participation. Well, how do I find my gift? How do I find my place in God's work? Well, there's several things to do. Number one, look at the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? The Scripture draws boundaries around certain behaviors and vocations. For example, it's very clear that God does not want you to work for the mafia and to be an assassin. That's off limits. Just in case anyone was wondering, okay? You shall not murder, the Scripture says. So that's kind of an obvious illustration. So the Scripture sets boundaries on behaviors and locations, and we stay within those boundaries. But second, look at your joys. What brings you great joy and satisfaction? Uh, Check that out. Then look at your burdens and sorrows. Where, where, Where do you have a burden? Where do you have some sorrow? And then finally, what do other people say your gifts and strengths and abilities are? When you put all four of these factors together, There you're most likely to find a place where you can be effective and serve God and make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. So listen, we need everyone to participate 
in what God is doing. The last thing churches need are spectators. We don't need any more. Of course, a lot of churches are like, you know, college football games. You've got 85, you know, at a college football game, you've got 85,000 people who desperately need some exercise, watching 22 who desperately need some rest. We, we don't need to be that way. Every one of us needs to be on mission for Jesus Christ, and we can be by the power of the Holy Spirit because God has given us something to do and the gifts that go with it. If God wants you to do something with your life, He always accompanies that purpose with power, and He'll come through if you'll trust Him. So total participation, but that's not all. Not only total participation, but then total celebration. Verses 27 and 28. Look here. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem. So they pulled the musicians together, the instrumentalists, and they pulled together those that would sing. They had a praise team. They've got a choir in here as well. And they've got instrumentalists. And they end up having a marvelous, powerful celebration when they dedicate the walls of Jerusalem. And they have a couple of processions as well. And I want you to notice the powerful result in verse number 43. Look what happens here. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. There's the first mention of that word in this verse. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Now there are all sorts, there are all sorts of noises that can be heard afar off. There can be an explosion, but you really don't want to hear that, do you? There are other negative noises that could be heard afar off. But here's what they're doing. They're gathering together and they're making great, great sacrifice. They're singing. They're worshiping. They've got total celebration because they've come to this point and they have completed the mission that God has given them. And the big mission here is to uh, restart the sacrifices and the sacrificial system at the temple. That's where they sacrificed lambs and goats and bulls and other animals and spilled their blood upon the altar to tide over Israel until Jesus could appear and make the final sacrifice at the cross. All of those sacrifices were a preview of what Jesus Christ would do at the cross. And so when they offered these sacrifices, the blood that was spilled on the altar tided them over until Jesus appeared, tided Israel over until Jesus appeared. And the good news is anyone that's ever been guilty before God can have their sin cleansed and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no hope of being forgiven by God without blood. There is no hope of being made right with God without the shedding of blood. There's no cleansing of the conscience until there is shedding of blood. But I've got good news for you. The blood's been shed, so there is remission. There's an opportunity to be made right with God right now and today in anyone 
that repents and places faith in Jesus Christ can be made right with God today. And this is why they are celebrating. There is total celebration. Now, how do they get to the point where they are celebrating in a total fashion? Look back at verse 30. I mean, economic, economic times are tough. They've labored to rebuild these walls. They've rebuilt the homes. There are some that were chosen in a lottery to move from the suburbs into the city. They've had to give all of up, all up of their, uh, all up of their estates and their comfortable living outside the city where they were established, where they had at least something of a rudimentary economy. They've moved back into the city. Times are tough. Things are difficult. They're celebrating. How do they get to the point where they're celebrating before God? Verse number 30. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. They came before God in celebration with great joy because they took a first step before worship. And that is, they got clean before God. They purged themselves of any guilt and any sin. David would pray in Psalm 68, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah announced to Israel, he said, The Lord's ear is not dull that it cannot hear. His hand is not short that it cannot save. But your sins have separated you, separated you from your God. In order to worship with total celebration, there has got to be a very sincere step taken before we ever get to that point, and that is to come clean before God. And because Jesus has bled, no one needs to come to worship and no one needs to leave worship without being purged and cleansed before God. Total celebration. But there's a third thing here in the text as well, that special sauce, a third ingredient, and that is total unification. Now I want you to turn with me to John 17, 21, and I want to show you a marvelous possibility for your relationships, a marvelous possibility for your marriage, a marvelous possibility for your family, marvelous possibility for your friends, marvelous possibility, in fact, for our own church and all Christians. John 17, 21, this is what Jesus promised. And to put it in context, look at verse 20. This is a prayer of Jesus. He's talking to God. He's pleading with the Father to do verses 20 and 21. He said, I do not pray for these alone, the disciples that are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for us because we would believe because of the word of the apostles. And here's what he's praying. That they, may, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Father, I'm pleading with you that you would unify them just like, you have uni- just like there's unity between me and you, that they may also be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Hey, did you know there are three persons that have walked together and related together and worked together for a long, long time? Watch this that have never had a single disagreement, that have never had a spat, that have never had even a smidgen of conflict, not one. Three people, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have never had a disagreement, never had a conflict, never had a crossword. None of them has ever had to come back to the other and apologize at all for being rough with one another or disagreeable. They've never had to work through an issue. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit have never had to work through an issue. Now, here's what John 17, 21 is saying. When we come to Jesus Christ, God is willing to give us that same degree of unity with those who know Him. He is entirely capable of doing it. That is the picture and the model of Christian unity. Not an athletic team. Their unity is not the model for Christian unity. Not a political party. Their unity is not the model of Christian unity. The model of Christian unity is the unity enjoyed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And beloved, the people of God can have it. And that's what you find in Nehemiah chapter 12 among the people in Jerusalem. Total unification. Look at verse number 47. Here they're gathering together, they're unifying together to provide for the materials and the resources necessary to carry off temple worship. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for every day. All of Israel unified together to pull off the great total celebration that the people would experience. They, they, they did so financially. They did so in their labors. They did so in their work. In other words, they have got total unification with one another. Now, how did they achieve that? How did they achieve that? Verse 45. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon, his son. On behalf of God, David and Solomon wrote some procedures about purification. They followed them. And they took that word from David and Solomon as it was to be taken, as the very word of God, as the charge of God himself. So here's what they do. This is how they achieved unity. They achieved unity. Not by a bunch of compromise. Sometimes that's necessary, but not by a bunch of compromise. They achieved unity by unifying first with Almighty God. They took His charge seriously. They set aside their own agenda. They set aside their own opinion. They set aside their own views. They set aside their own desires. They set aside their own perspective. They set aside everything within themselves about this issue. And they unified with God. And once they unified with God, they were unified with one another. Now, this is marvelously demonstrated in premarital counseling. In premarital counseling, I always go through this with a, uh, with a uh, young couple that uh, comes for premarital counseling and expects to get married. And I want your help with this, all right? In the air, I want you to draw a triangle, okay? Everybody get their finger out. I want you to draw a triangle, okay? Here we go. Down to that corner over to this one, and back up to the apex. One more time, just in case it's blurry. All right, down this way, down this way, down this way. I ask them to do that. And I tell them this. Down in the bottom two corners, you've got the man and the woman. And there's a little distance between them. That's not unusual. That happens. You don't need to panic and fall to pieces whenever there is some distance between you and and some difference. 
But the way that you get closer to one another is you get closer to Jesus Christ. As you both grow closer to Jesus Christ and you're filled with Him and you bond with Him, what happens? You start here apart, but then you get closer. As you get closer to Jesus, you get closer to who? One another. That's precisely it. And beloved, that's how you pull off an effective and successful marriage, parent-child relationship, family, and a church family. Every person has got to be willing to set everything about themselves aside and pursue Him and Him alone. Listen to me carefully. God will take care of the unity if we will take care of the submission to Him. That's where it all begins. That's where every great Christian relationship starts. Beloved, these are the ingredients of special sauce. And God wants you to have them. God wants you to participate. And He's calling you today to discover your gift and your role and to fill it. God wants us to have total celebration by being purged. And you do not have to leave here dirty or uh, guilty or... Uh, full of worry and anxiety about the future. You can be made right with God by the free grace of Jesus Christ today. And then God wants us to have total unification, to abandon ourselves for His will and His will alone. And He's calling you to make the necessary decision to make that happen. Would you stand with me quickly, please? I want to pray for you. We're going to ask you to respond today. We're going to sing a song in just a moment after I pray. And we're going to ask you to come and make that decision for Jesus Christ to yield and bow everything before Him. And Father, I want to pray for these sweet people, my sweet friends, and I want to ask that you'll come in great power, honor and glory to the name of